to Dallas by Robert P. Fitton. Return to Dallas, Chapter 26. Robert McEwen Residence, 1st Street, Bayside, Texas, Saturday, August 31st, 1963, 9.15 a.m. Galveston Island's panorama touched the sky along the coast. Patch stopped near the beach so they could hear the waves break on the berm. Serenity settled in as Sherry rested her head on his shoulder. I wish we could just stay here, Patch. He nodded. No more surveillance, no more Castro problems, no more P.O. boxes. What about the cash, he asked, looking into her eyes. She raised her brows and smiled. 35000 in the bank. They knew you'd be up to the task, Patch. Do you remember anything you had to do during the Bay of Pigs? Only what I've been told, ferry flying me in, going after Sanchez, but I don't remember. Did you hear the way Ferry blames Kennedy for not sending in air cover? Wasn't just blame, she said. You're right, he hates Kennedy, and so do some of the Cubans. She stuck her head out the window and hailed, Ah, fresh air. He pulled her back inside. I almost wish we didn't have to drive up to Dallas. She checked her watch. We need to go wait for Roswell. I wonder what they have him doing this morning. Patch turned the Impala into a residential coastal community and parked under a clump of trees up the street from McEwen's spacious home. It waited for nearly half an hour before a white Ford cruised smoothly by them and stopped along the road near the house. He placed the headphones over his ears and turned on the tape recorder. Sherry readied the camera. A distinguished Latin-looking man in a blue suit and Lee Oswald in a short-sleeved shirt walked up the drive toward the house. Two men holding coffee cups peered out the picture window. A woman in a negligee passed behind them. Oswald knocked on the front door. Patch aimed the amplifier. Sherry snapped several long-range photos. A dark-haired man opened the front door. My name is Lee Oswald. I've finally found you. You're McEwen, are you not? Yes. Patch twisted the audio gain higher. The tape recorder reel spun around as Oswald spoke. Well, I've looked for you for quite a while, but I'm not sure that you're McEwen. I understand you can supply any amount of arms. Who told you that? Guns? asked Patch. He's asking about guns. I'm pretty sure that you can do it, said Oswald. We're thinking about having a revolution in El Salvador. El Salvador? Yes, it's such a small country it would be easy to do. The man's voice became strained. I want to tell you right now, I'm on probation. And I said I'm not about to get mixed up in no damn arms of any kind. Not anymore. I'm in enough trouble as it is. I won't give you nothing. Patch adjusted the amp as Oswald kept babbling. You can make all this money, Mr. McEwen. I said I'm not interested in money. I'm married now. I'm working. I'm trying to do right. And I don't want to get mixed up in anything like that. So that's that. Have a good day. But Mr. McEwen... My wife doesn't know anything of this. She doesn't know that I was mixed up in all this mess, so goodbye. This is Mr. Hernandez. Glad to know you. I've heard a lot about you. That's all in the past. Goodbye. Oswald and Hernandez headed back to the car, but Patch could still hear McEwen and his friend as he closed the door. Sam, ain't this one hell of a mess. Mac, don't mess with them. I ain't gonna mess with them. Sherry hit his arm and Patch looked up. Patch, Oswald's going back to the house. 
Hatch kept the tape running as Oswald knocked again. McEwen stepped outside this time. Mac, would you do me a favor? And it won't involve you in any way. I can give you $10,000 if you can get me four rifles. I have the money right here in my pocket. Look, pal, I said no. I would prefer the 300 Savage Automatics with a telescopic sight. Patch turned to her. He wants automatic rifles? McEwen thought for a second. What do you want with four rifles? You can't do nothing with a revolution with four rifles. If you get them for me, I would surely appreciate it. I will give you 10000 if you can get those four rifles. Again, McEwen paused and looked skyward before he spoke again. No way! Like I just told you, I'm not getting involved in no kinds of arms. Hell, if you want rifles, you can go down to Sears and Robux and buy them. You can get rifles at any hardware store. Why do you have to come to me to get them? Oswald looked him in the eye. You are being very uncooperative and rude. There's no reason for you and me to be talking anymore. I'm not going to fool with any arms whatsoever. None whatsoever. Oswald and Hernandez returned to the car. Pat shut off the recorder, then he and Sherry looked at each other. McEwen wants nothing to do with getting rifles for Oswald. He says he can buy them at Sears. I agree with McEwen, said Sherry. You can buy those guns anywhere. Oswald said he was in a revolution in El Salvador. But that El Salvador story wasn't credible. Patch waited as Oswald and Hernandez left in the Ford. Why ask for those rifles? He's being told to do all these things, Patch. Something isn't right here. Audio recording, three and a half inch reel, August 31st, 1963. This is Lemon. Oswald incredibly offered Mr. Robert McEwen in a Bayside, Texas, $10,000 for four automatic rifles. I do not know where Oswald would get $10,000, nor would he say why he was working in a revolution in El Salvador. It should be noted that although I suspect McEwen had done this type of work in the past, he was emphatic in telling Oswald he wanted nothing to do with selling guns. Lemon out. Return to Dallas, Chapter 27. Cabana Moda Hotel, Bon Viant Room, Dallas, Texas, Sunday, September 1st, 1963, 8 p.m. Two waitresses pulled the sunshade chains and opened the window to the city lights. Sherry wore a green evening dress and a white sweater. She had just a touch of blue-green eyeshadow, and her pinned-up hair gave her an elegance Patch had never seen. She held Patch's hand across the table. Do you know this is the first time I've seen you in a tie, Patch? How do I look? He said as he adjusted his thin black tie. In a white shirt and a blazer with patches on the sleeve, you look like a college professor. Good, I could use the credibility. I'm going to ask Pearl to take us out of this operation. I've reached my limit. I don't think he'll listen. We'll see. I think this is Pearl coming into the restaurant. She turned as a man with glasses and a beige 10-gallon hat carried a maroon briefcase to the table. He had a few words with the maitre d', laughed, and then walked over to the table. Good evening, lemon and lime. Good evening. Patch stood and shook his hand. Pearl kissed Sherry's hand. You two are already here. That's good. Yes, sir. Actually, Mr. Pearl, it's Jim. Jim. Jim, we're happy to be out of New Orleans. Please sit down. 
He slid into the red upholstered booth, flipping his lighter and lit a cigarette. Exhaling, he signaled the waiter and made a drinking gesture, pointed at his own drink and held up two fingers. The waiter nodded without even approaching the table. Mr. Pearl, this is getting very dangerous. Both of us have been talking. We want out. Pearl's wrinkled face did not move. Then he produced a fixed smile. I don't think you understand, Patch. You don't get out of this until they tell you you're out of this. Patch's face froze with a look of incredulity. Seems like we don't have much of a choice, said Sherry. No, ma'am, you don't. Now that aside, I guess you're wondering what old Jim Pearl's name is doing in your P.O. box. Patch shrugged his shoulders. I only have my instructions. Patch nodded. So you have instructions for us. Lemon and lime. The waiter set down identical ginger ales in front of Patch and Sherry. Patch looked over and then at the drinks. What's the plan, Jim? Well, Pearl leaned to his left and popped the brass locks on the burgundy leather briefcase. Then he lifted out a clean-cut bundle of cash. Who do we have to kill? asked Patch, chuckling. Pearl's voice was stern and direct. I told you, do as you're told. There's 10,000 here. That's incredible, said Shari. 10 grand is 10 grand. Pearl put the cash in the maroon valise and zipped it shut. He handed the valise to Patch. They have placed multiple instructions in the valise. I'm not privy to those orders. Now I do have one item that I was told to tell you verbally so there'll be no misunderstanding. Patch sipped the ginger ale. And what might that be? Jack Ruby. Who? Jack! You followed him to Texas. Oh, Jack. We know him well. Well, don't know him too well. Stay as far away from Jack as you can. He may even try and contact you. Seemed like a nice guy, said Sherry. Very nervous. What's going on here, Jim? One thing you should remember, he said. You just do what they tell you and you'll be taken care of. It's always worked for me. Pearl squinted, his eyes assuming almost a mystical air. There's a distinct possibility that a high-level operative of the Central Intelligence Agency is going to have a meeting with Mr. Oswald. Or it could be crap. What is it? asked Patch. Pearl held the glass but did not drink. Okay, on September 3rd, 1963, before noon at the Southland Building in Dallas, Texas, Oswald, it is said, will arrive with a Cuban exile, codename Amshell One. Amshell One says Oswald will supposedly meet with CIA contact David Phillips. Oswald is an associate of the CIA. We know that, said Patch. You two are in a different league now. The 10,000 is for this and for another operation coming up. Both put you in harm's way if you get caught. Patch glared at Pearl. Do not film anything at the Southland building. You'll be killed if they see you. Get photographs, but only from the adjacent hotel. Kind of an insurance policy of being above the street. It's also very important if Oswald doesn't show up. It'll tell us we got wrong information and what Amshale 1 is up to. September 3rd, repeated Patch. In the afternoon, check P.O. Box 3066 in the Terminal Annex Building, located at the corner of Houston and Commerce Streets in Dallas. You're supposed to use this box while you're in the Dallas area. Now listen, he pointed at Patch. Oswald uses the same postal annex, and this is important. Stay away from Postmaster Harry Holmes. 
Holmes is an FBI informant. If you haven't figured it out, your man is also an FBI informant. He brought in two FBI agents as soon as he was arrested in New Orleans. Called the feds in. Pearl stood abruptly. You got all that? September 3rd, just before noon. Right. If he doesn't show up, that's just as important. And Lemon. What? Two things. Don't spend it all in one place and don't get yourself killed. Return to Dallas, Chapter 28. At the hotel window, Patch carefully adjusted the long-range camera lens diagonally across the street. Why are Oswald and the Cuban meeting with David Phillips of the CIA? I'm scared, Patch, said Sherry. Patch hugged her. I'm sorry I dragged you into this. You didn't know where this was going, and I went willingly. We'll wait here, Sherry. Do what we have to do, and then get the hell out of here. She stared out the window to the street below. This has all been stepped up to a higher level than Lee Oswald just handing out those fake communist pamphlets. Patch nodded. He turned the outer grip and scanned the windows of the 42-story building with his 35mm camera. Then he focused on the sidewalk up to the Southland building's glass entrance door and blue tile facade. Remember, Rosselli said to stay away from Phillips, Hunt, and somebody else. The intelligence boys. Think of it, Patch. They're after you. You must know something if they clipped your memory. I'll follow Mr. Rosselli's advice. Again, he scanned the sidewalk. I think we're safe up here on the 22nd floor. She held his wrist. We'll be safe when we're out of this building. Patch held the camera in his hand. If it's true, who sent Oswald up here? The FBI? Naval Intelligence? The CIA? His connections with the underground? The Cubans or the anti-Castro Cubans? As well as people we don't even know about. I'm not an apathetic person, but I can't believe all this goes on away from the general public. Believe it. Patch set down the camera. Just who the hell is this guy Oswald? Involved with all these characters? He just melds into the next thing. And they're paying us an ungodly amount of money to catalog what he's doing. Patch nodded and sipped the tepid cup of coffee. The New York address is nothing more than a drop-off point. Maybe they forward our reports to somebody else. Somewhere, someone knows how all the pieces fit together. Scary as hell. Pilatus knows more than he's saying. I agree, Pilatus knows a lot, said Patch. But he could merely be a man with problems, I don't know. Yet he seems to parallel everything. All like the tentacles of an octopus. Patch lifted the camera up again and surveyed the traffic. I have 72 exposures on this roll. I have to shoot quickly because I'm sure they'll be going inside the building. Patch again focused on the sidewalk and the Southland entrance. Did you check that map for the Dallas P.O. box? No, not yet, he said pulling back the zoom. I'll check it. How long have we been here, Patch? Patch placed the camera on the side table. Too long. This whole thing is bogus. Oh, now they know, she said. Pearl said they needed to know if this was a false report. Patch nodded. Let them find out why Phillips, Oswald, and Amshell 1 didn't show up. Sherry turned toward the window. Patch, the white station wagon parked down on the street. Damn. Patch, his eyes open wide, popped the camera case and leaned on the air conditioner. He quickly snapped photos in motion as the bull-necked team leader from New Orleans, dressed in a blue suit, exited the passenger's side. 
Three men in dark suits fanned out and into the Southland Center. Four men in street clothes headed toward the hotel entrance below. Then he stuck the camera back inside the case and stood. They think we're in there, Sherry, he said as his heart pounded. We need to get out of here right now. I pray they don't see the Impaler. We parked it on the damn street. Patch opened the hotel room door and they hurried into the hall. The elevators were only a few feet away. We can't just run out front. I would say we have about five minutes. These people are professional. The elevator hovered between the first and second floors. Down the stairs, Sherry. Patch, they all moved like soldiers. As they scampered down the concrete cast stairway, Patch tried to anticipate their next move. They would quickly move back to the car. Because Bullneck and the others knew Patch and Sherry were in the area, but were unaware they had been in an adjacent hotel looking over the Southland Center. Sherry opened the first floor lobby side door and they stumbled into an alley. Five parking meters away from the street, the Impala faced the opposite direction from the Southland Center. Patch leaped into the passenger seat and Sherry started the engine. He looked out the rear plastic window but could not see the station wagon clearly. In the mirror, as Sherry pulled slowly into the road, the men climbed back in the station wagon. What's happening, Patch? They're heading away. Well, we earned that part of the ten grand. P.O. Box 3066, Terminal Annex Building, corner of Houston and Karma Streets, Dallas, Texas, Tuesday, September 3rd, 1963, 3.30 p.m. Patch moved up the post office steps. In his hand was the brass key from the envelope Pearl had given him at the Cabana Motor Hotel last night. He opened the heavy door and checked ahead. A bald man closed his post office box and tucked his mail under his arm. A young girl with red hair piled her mail on the table against the far wall. She threw a few flyers into the metal wastebasket behind the desk. Patch stepped inside and followed the shaded green numbers on the glass encased metal frame boxes. To his left, he sidestepped with the ascending numbers until he found box 3066. He turned the key. The familiar manila envelope was now arched inside the box. He slid it out and was about to head back outside to Sherry. He hesitated when Lee Oswald entered the post office. Patch drifted back to where the woman had thrown away the flyers. The wooden table had certified and registered mail slips and trays next to the gray slab wall. He pulled out a conglomeration of junk mail from the trash barrel. His heart pounded. He casually pretended to read junk mail as Oswald's shoes clicked against the floor tiles. In his peripheral vision, Patch noted Oswald passed by him toward a box no more than 20 feet away. Patch watched Oswald out of the corner of his eye. The slim Oswald, hair neatly trimmed, opened the box. He pulled out a white legal-sized letter and several smaller pieces of mail. Oswald then closed his box and walked by Patch with the white envelope in his hand. He studied Patch's face with his gray eyes as if he were memorizing it for an exam. His dark stubble indicated he had not shaved for a while. He squinted, twisted his lips, but retraced his steps across the post office. A deep anxiety now settled over Patch. He listened to Oswald's shoes echo off the walls. The sound faded, and Oswald exited through the heavy doors up front. He never looked back. Patch's heart kept thumping as he wondered why they had set him up in the same post office as Oswald. Maybe it was the way Oswald had looked him over. 
He had a deep, unsettled feeling about Oswald. Patch opened the manila envelope and slipped out a crisp yellow sheet with a typewritten message. Lemon, return to New Orleans. Before you leave Dallas, an 8mm camera is waiting for you at the department store, camera department, at Main and St. Paul Streets in Dallas. Instructions for proper use of the camera are in your New Orleans box. Shoot the film we want, and it's worth the $10,000. It's critical that you remain a distance from Oswald at all times. Oh, sure, I blew that one. More money lined the inside of the envelope. He placed the paper back in the envelope. For another few minutes, he waited just to be sure Oswald had left the area. Then he, too, exited the building. Beyond the next block, Sherry opened the Impala door. She stepped onto the sidewalk and ran toward Patch. They met at the corner of the post office building. Did he see you? She asked in a low voice. Then you saw him. Yes. Scrutinize my face. Oh, no. In the manila envelope? The line of work that he's in, I'm sure he has to be aware of what's around him. He got a white envelope and some other mail. So now he's in Dallas, she said. I think he'll be wherever they send him. What was in our envelope, he asked. They want us to pick up an 8mm camera at a local department store and then head back to New Orleans. They want us to film something for 10 grand. It must be risky. You know it and I know it. Across the busy street on a park bench, Lee Oswald watched the traffic. Patch took her hand and started back to the Impala. Don't look now, but Oswald is on the bench across from the post office. A green and white bus pulled from the curb, and when it sped away in a cloud of black exhaust, like a magician, Oswald had left the bench. Patch watched the bus's taillights turn red at the next intersection. I don't think him seeing me means anything right now, but if he sees me again, he may put it all together. Hopefully that won't happen. I had a feeling, that same unsettled feeling when I saw him up close. I can't tell you why. Complete audiobook of Return to Dallas is available at audible.com.